All right, if you have a copy of the confession this morning, let's go ahead and find, once again, chapter 27. And, of course, paragraph 1, we are still working our way through. Uh, We began looking at this particular chapter, and I mentioned to you that we were going to uh, begin by a bit of a study within a study and uh, do a few-week study of looking at the Holy Spirit. And so we started that last week by uh, dealing with the principles of the by his spirit and in being in the fellowship in his graces is what the paragraph one of chapter 27 tells us and why you find there find your place there also find first corinthians chapter two if you would and we're going to be looking at that portion of scripture this morning as we continue this study again as we turn the page into the confession Uh, And that phrase, once again, fellowship in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. I want to deal with our subject this morning of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What is the ministry of the Spirit? The word ministry is a word that has many different meanings to many different people. When we think of ministry, we think of that which a pastor does or maybe that which an elder does, uh, some type of service, some type of Um, effort to relieve or meet a need and of course there is the potential of that term being certainly proper a servant or a ministry but I want to begin by really making kind of a a statement or a a thesis that kind of gives us a direction Um, apart from the Holy Spirit of God uh, we would not be able to comprehend our standing in Christ Jesus so apart from the Holy Spirit of God we would not be able to to comprehend our standing in Christ Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is what gives us the ability to comprehend our standing. Uh, If we know we're in Christ today, our standing, our understanding of that standing, if you will, is based upon the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, we would not be able to perceive even where we stand. So in fact, the ministry of the Holy Spirit here uh, is necessary for any person to be able to discern and understand the deep mysteries of what we commonly refer to as the gospel. For us to even understand the gospel, uh, we have to have the discerning work of the Holy Spirit. So it is the Spirit that illuminates. It is the Spirit that gives us discernment, illuminates the Scripture, if you will, enable to see and understand uh, the deep mysteries of not only God, but even the gospel. Uh, We couldn't understand even what the confession writer said in that first paragraph. We could not understand what it means to have fellowship in his graces if we did not understand and have the discerning power of the Spirit. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul demonstrates this exact thesis that I gave you, that apart from the Holy Spirit of God, we would not be able to comprehend our standing in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2 that Paul wrote on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit deals with a lot of different subjects. But his primary emphasis and his primary focus is on this very truth that he illustrates that without the power of the Spirit, uh, man would not be able to even understand the gospel. He would not be able to understand his standing. He would not be able to comprehend these amazing truths. If you look with me at 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. 
For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstrations of spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, anytime you read through a text, there's always a key statement. There's always something that really is the intent. Um, And verse 5 is it. Paul's entire intention of this dependence upon the Spirit would be that those who are in the faith, that their faith would stand in the wisdom of men, not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So his great prayer for the church at Corinth to those believers and even us today as believers is that our faith does not stand by the wisdom or philosophy of man, but it stands in the power of God, which is given to us through the Spirit. Yet Paul then deals with the realities of the day. How be it, he says. How be it, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, not of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Hidden wisdom ordained before the foundation of the world. It was always the intent of God that man would only be able to understand and discern even the gospel through the Spirit of God. It always was God's intent. God has not changed this hidden wisdom. He's not changed in how he deals with man. And he says this, but which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not, I circle that phrase, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had those who put Christ on the cross had any clue, had any idea of who it was and what they were doing, not a single one of them would have put him on a cross, even though that was the determined way of redemption. No one would have dared done it. But he said they did not know it. How do we look at the cross and know what happened at the cross and comprehend what happened at the cross is because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You don't understand even the concept of crucifying the Lord of glory without the Holy Spirit's ministry. It's impossible for you to know that. It's impossible for an unbelieving world to look at a cross and see redemption. It's impossible for them to see how the sacrifice of a man could lead to the accomplishment of salvation of souls. So Paul is dealing very clearly with the ministry here of what the Spirit does. And he teaches very clearly that the gospel doesn't need the wisdom of men. As a matter of fact, the wisdom of man with regard to the gospel is totally and fully useless. Man's wisdom does no, has no part in discerning the gospel. Man's intellect Man's level of intelligence does nothing for understanding the gospel. So Paul really drives home this point. And again, remember, this chapter in the confession is of the communion of the saints. What bonds us and unites us together is the Holy Spirit. Now, you might be on the church membership role here, but that's not what binds you 
What binds us together is the fellowship in his graces or the fellowship we have in the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, this would just be a group of people sitting in benches on a Sunday morning. But it's so much more than that. It's the reality that the Holy Spirit, the effectual working of power, we all have this knowledge if we're in Christ. We have a knowledge of this wisdom, hidden wisdom, in which Paul so clearly writes about. The gospel is so far far above the wisdom of man, it can only be known by the Spirit of God. So no matter how many degrees a man has, he will never understand the things of God apart from the Holy Spirit. Man is always prone to believe that he doesn't need God to understand. I don't need God to understand the Bible. I just pick it up and I can tell you what it means. Without the Spirit, man has no clue what he's reading. He'll fool himself into believing that he understands it, but he doesn't. Because only the Spirit can do that. So this key phrase that I showed you in verse 5, and really our first heading this morning, is that faith is not in the wisdom of men, but in demonstration of the Holy Spirit by the power of God. And that's lengthy heading, but faith is not in the wisdom of men, but in demonstration of the Holy Spirit by the power of God. Paul, in that very first verse, indicates that when he first came to you, when I first came to Corinth, he's saying, when I first came to preach the riches of Christ, the gospel unto you, he did so in a way not to preach lofty words of eloquence, not so that you'd be impressed with his ability to speak, but rather, he says, for I determined not to know anything among you, save or accept Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, this is an interesting terminology because Paul was very well educated. Paul was an extremely intelligent man. So when Paul says that I didn't come to you in my wisdom and my excellency of speech or my knowledge, he's not speaking too far off of what he had the ability to do. But he says, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I am determined to know nothing except Christ Jesus and him crucified. The entire ministry of Paul's life was to know Christ and him crucified. That's the entirety of his life. Paul was well-educated in Jewish learning. He had a great knowledge of the society. He knew Greek literature. He was capable of conversing in social things. If you were to have coffee with Paul, Paul could sit and talk to you and he could tell you about the events of the day. He could talk about all the social issues that were confronting the church at Corinth. He could do all of those things, but yet he said, I'm resolved about this. I'm resolved that I'm only going to concern myself with Jesus Christ and him crucified. Can you imagine the difference it would make in our lives and our conversations if that's what we actually did? I'm determined to know nothing except Christ Jesus and him crucified. Now, he doesn't just mean the only event in history I'm going to be concerned about is Christ going to the cross. No, he means everything concerning God, all wisdom that concerns those hidden mysteries. I'm resolved to do that, he says. Why does the gospel offend so much? It offends because that individual who is without Christ, it is an offensive thought. The gospel will offend an unbeliever. 
Which is why we often make the grave mistake when we water down the gospel because we're afraid of offending. The cross is offensive. Christ crucified is offensive. The offense of the cross is part of the gospel. If your gospel presentation does not offend, it's a phony gospel. Because the gospel that declares a man to be a sinner in his total depravity and unable to save himself will offend every single person because it wounds the pride. That's why the gospel offends. It wounds us. It wounds our pride. Paul said, that's all I'm going to do. You can read in Galatians 6 and Galatians 2 where Paul, when he wrote to the church there, he wrote the same thing that his entire delight was to be in that which Christ brought. In verse 3, Paul makes mention of weakness. He says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, there are those that some disagree with this but, and some have other views on this, but the word weakness here Uh, Paul could have had really two thoughts in mind when he wrote this. It could have referred to his bodily presence, which his bodily presence, because of what he had endured, uh, it was nothing to behold. It was nothing to look on. But it also could have been a reference to his humility, and it could have been a reference to how he lowered himself. He became Jews. He lowered himself to them. He was humble because of what the gospel had done to him. He was not exerting this power and authority as if even he could as an apostle of Christ. But he did this, he says, with fear and in much trembling. Now, some think that Paul did this because he was afraid of his life for his life. I don't believe that at all. I believe what the apostle Paul was saying is he knew what a great and humbling undertaking it is to actually preach the gospel. I don't think Paul was afraid of dying. I don't think Paul was afraid of being martyred. I think Paul was afraid of getting the gospel wrong. I think Paul was afraid that what he said would be mistaken for the wisdom of man instead of the wisdom of God. And he was so desperate that man would know Christ Jesus and him crucified. It is a fearful thing to preach the word of God. And for the show that man makes this today, that preaching has become entertainment to some, is a travesty to God. This is not entertainment. It's not meant to tickle our ears. It's not meant to tickle our fancies. It's not meant to meet a need in our life that's missing in our social life. It's fear and trembling because we are dealing with the hidden mystery of God, realizing we must be dependent upon the ministry of the Spirit for you to understand anything that I'm saying today. My eloquence has nothing to do with it or my lack thereof, which is most likely the case. It's the lack of eloquence. It's the lack of it that proves, once again, it's the Holy Spirit of God is the one that's doing the ministry. Paul was desperate that people would understand that this is a fearful thing. He's deeply concerned that he preached the truth of God and that men would receive the truth. Romans 9 and Romans 10 both tell us about Paul's desire. My brethren, my desire for you is that you would be saved. In verse 4, he said, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. As Paul determined in verse number 3, that's what he did. 
His subject was not what's going on in nature, not social injustice, not the world around them, not the sciences, not philosophy, not how to just have a form of morality but no godliness, but salvation from sin through a crucified Lord. That was his resolve. And he says, not in the wisdom of man, but in a demonstration of the Spirit, that's a reference to the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, and of power. His language and his sermons were given in such a way that human logic, wisdom, and persuasion would not be able to even relate to it. I hear people all the time say, you know what, we really want a church that's relevant. We want preaching that's relevant. You're going to have to explain to me what that means. What that means to me is when you say I need to be relevant is you want it to speak to your human intellect, not to your soul. See, relevant preaching is what the Word of God says. Or I want preaching that's more meets me where I'm really dealing with each and every day. The Word of God deals with every issue of life. Every one of them. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. Every issue of life is dealt with. I'm not trying to appeal to your logic this morning. I'm not trying to appeal to your wisdom. It is demonstration of the power in spirit. Now, if you speak with wisdom and you speak with logic towards another, especially in the case of an unbeliever, if you're speaking the words of the Bible, you're speaking the words and the spirit is giving you the words in which you are speaking, you are speaking God's truth into people. But the only reason you understand what you're saying to them is because the Holy Spirit is ministering through you, not because you're smarter than the person you're talking to. The spiritual arrogance that's running rampant in our churches is astounding. There's no room for human, there's no room for human arrogance. Paul was not running on arrogance. He was running on a demonstration of the power of the Spirit that people would see and understand this hidden wisdom. The gospel is believed not by human wisdom, wisdom or intellect, but it is believed when the, God, when the will of man is changed and the regeneration of the spirit takes place. That's when man believes he's been regenerated. Now he's not operating on the wisdom of man anymore. It's the demonstration of the spirit. That's why that is such a key statement. It is very similar to what Ecclesiastes, when Solomon writes that, this is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is Paul's conclusion of the whole matter, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's his conclusion of the whole matter. I don't want your faith to stand in man's wisdom. I want your faith to stand in that which is true, and that is the power of God. That's the key statement. But then Paul, as he often does, he prepares for what is going to be a pushback on what he says. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that came to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. In a sense, what Paul was saying here, he's saying to them, uh, if, if you think that the gospel is unworthy of 
listening to it because of its simplicity, because of its lowliness, because its ministers are humble and they're not flashy and arrogant and filled with pomp and circumstance. He says, lest you do that, I want to remind you that what really is before you is the highest wisdom a man can possibly imagine is the gospel itself. So if someone says, what is the most difficult truth for man to ever understand? It's the gospel. Higher than rocket science. Higher than medical neurology. Higher than biological cell division. The highest wisdom, the highest comprehensible thing man can ever get is the gospel. Paul says what you're going to do is you're going to treat this as something not worthy of notice or regard because it does not have the eloquence that the philosophy of the day has. The gospel, although we refer to it as simple, in many ways it's not simple. It's only understandable because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is not philosophy. It's not the plan. It's not the wisdom of this world. Nor is it the wisdom of the rulers and the leaders of this world. I think that would benefit us greatly to understand that the wisdom we see in the world, we're looking for the wisdom of Christ through, the wisdom, through, through people who do not know Christ and do not have the ministry of the Spirit. We're looking for wisdom. We're looking for hidden wisdom in places that you'll never find it. You cannot have the wisdom of God in a person who does not have the Holy Spirit of God. Now, God throughout history has used even wicked rulers to carry out his plan, but most of those cases, if not all of those, they didn't even realize they were carrying out God's plan. They didn't come to a conclusion and say, oh, I'm working for God. That's part of the majesty of God, that he can take even the most wicked ruler. That's why even when wicked rulers are in power, we don't fret, we're not overly concerned, because God can even take the wickedness of this world, and he's going to carry out his plan. This is the wisdom of man compared to the wisdom of God. So it sets forth the wisdom of God, the hidden mystery, sets forth eternal wisdom. Sets forth eternal grace, eternal mercy, which was given to the believers when? When was this given to you? It was given to you in Christ before the world even began, which takes away any room for you to boast because this gift was given to you before you were even conceived or even thought of in the sovereign election of God that is so mysterious and deep. But that's when it was given. Not when you were born to see if you would choose God for yourself. Which again makes the foolishness of thinking man's going to get up one day and say, I'm going to, I want God today. Man only wants God because God makes him willing to see it. Human pride says, no, I, cho I choose for myself. Paul didn't depend on human wisdom at all. He's depending upon the ministry of the Spirit. 
verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. We've already mentioned this. None of the world's religious rulers or leaders or philosophers saw the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus and certainly didn't see God's wisdom in a crucifixion. Had they known anything about who he was, they would have never driven the nail. They would have never spit upon him. They never would have plated him with thorns. They never would have mocked him and put a purple robe on him. Folks, when you see evil, wicked people mock the things of Christ, can I say this to you very politely this morning? They are only acting to what their nature is. Now you're standing back and you're saying, how can someone treat Christ with such contempt? And you need to remember, you would treat Christ with such contempt had it not been for the ministry of the Spirit and, not be, and, and had not been for the sovereign election of God before the world began. That individual that may seem so wicked today, a week from now, may have their eyes opened. The Apostle Paul was rated by so many as probably one of the most wicked men who ever lived. And look what sovereign grace did for him. He went from a religious, arrogant, prejudicial, religious teacher to one who was so humble that he couldn't even take the word of God without fear and trembling. Only God's grace does that. There's no neutral state regarding the work of Christ. You either believe He's the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the only rem remedy for sin, the only Redeemer, or you don't. There is no gray area. You are either in Christ or you're out of Christ. You are not somewhere in the middle. You're either, you're either a recipient of the great, of this, a recipient of the salvation accomplished at the cross, or you're an enemy of the cross. Paul did not mince words. Paul would not be invited to many quote unquote Bible believing churches today. But Paul wanted us to understand that I'm not trying to appeal to anybody's intellect today. I'm only trying to appeal and preach in the power of the Spirit. So we see that faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. The second heading is that spiritual discernment is given and revealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, these are all what's referred back in the confession as fellowship in his graces, because we don't understand what it is to have fellowship in Christ without the Spirit. Verse 9 says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Now that phrase, by his Spirit, is the exact phrase that is used in chapter 27 of the Confession, paragraph 1, all saints are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. 
Verse 9 is a direct quotation from Isaiah 64, 4. And what Isaiah is proving or saying in Isaiah 64, 4 is talking about this hidden wisdom that even Isaiah, probably of all the prophets, most clearly demonstrated the coming of Christ as Messiah. But here's what Isaiah 64, 4 says. For since the beginning of the world, notice that, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. For since the beginning of the world, men have never heard or perceived or seen God. There's never been a time that man has understood and comprehended God by the senses even. By his eyes, by his ears. It's only been by the ministry of the Spirit. Paul, as an expert in the Scriptures, when he gave, gave us verse 9 here, he had Isaiah 64, 4 in mind. He's talking about the gospel of Christ being this hidden, mysterious wisdom. Jesus himself made, 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 phrase, or made a, a, a quote regarding this, and he says it, it's, it's unknown to the wise and the prudent of this world. The wise and the prudent don't understand these things. God's mercy to sinners and God's mercy through Christ is seen and heard and read by the preaching of the Word. By the reading of the Word. The eye, the ear, and the heart of a natural man cannot see, cannot hear, cannot understand. John 3, 3, and Matthew 13, verses 13 and 16. It is impossible for the senses in their current state, natural state, to comprehend it. So what does that mean? The gospel has to be, it has to be revealed. That's discernment. Revealed to you. Revealed, not in an intellectual way, but by the Spirit. Verse 10, back in our text, Paul continues this line of thinking. Verse 10, he says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. I circled by his Spirit, drew an arrow back to revealed. But God hath revealed them, what? These things that he mentions in verse 9, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Context, context, context. By a spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Since the gospel is completely unknown to natural man, which means it's beyond the understanding of the wisest of them. How can any be acquainted with or how can any comprehend these spiritual mysteries? Paul gives the answer. God made a revelation of his purpose to save. He did that through the revelation of the person and the work of Christ. John 16 verses 8 through 15 says how Jesus himself can be just and the justifier of them. He does that by his spirit. It is the spirit that quickens us. It is the spirit that teaches us. It's the spirit that comforts us. The Holy Spirit, Paul says, has a complete and perfect knowledge of everything that is 
or anything that belongs to the gospel of Christ in a context specifically. So whatever you know about the gospel today, you know that because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not because you've read the whole Bible through 10 times. Not because you've got portions of Scripture memorized. The reason you understand that is because the Spirit searches and teaches you all things. That's what Paul's talking about. That's your understanding. That's your wisdom. This perfect knowledge, Paul writes, he continues in verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. What a person knows about himself and understands about himself only goes through his own thoughts, right? So the only person who really knows who you are is you. Your purposes, your motives, your plans, your designs, your intent are never known by another person unless you tell them to me or you tell them to another person. What Paul is saying is the Spirit knows those things. The things we don't know about each other, the Holy Spirit knows. Now, we make a lot of presuppositions. We assume what people's intent, motive, and thinking is, and we do it by a little thing we call body language, don't we? We think we're so smart. Your body language is saying you're this. That's your perception of my body language. You realize that there are people who really personalities are very, very similar and they're very, very close and they could really get along together if they would actually sit and talk, but they're turned off by another person's body language because they say your body language says you're somebody I can't possibly like. That's how narrow-minded we can be. We assume by what we hear, by a person's tone, by their outward stance, do they stand too close to us? Do they stand too far away? Do they not tend to our needs? Do they not cry at the same things we cry at? Do they not get mad? And we think all of these things really give the pure insight of who that person is. Only the Spirit knows those things. He knows everything about us. He knows if you're seated here today and everybody around you thinks you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, but there's a little part of you that's still hanging on to the fact, but I know that God saved me because there's some goodness in me. The Spirit even knows that. You see, because man's wisdom continues to say, I must have a part of my own salvation. Remember, it's the eternal purposes of God and the hidden wisdom of God and the mysteries. These things are not fully known by man, but the Spirit of God knows the thoughts of the heart, knows the purposes, knows the will, knows our ways, knows everything about us. Paul says in verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. That's another phrase I have circled. But the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things. It's not an insult to Scripture to say that you know about the things of God. Do we know it all? No, next week we'll look at there is still, in this life, there is still a bit of a veil that is covering our eyes. There's still some mysteries about God we do not fully comprehend. But yet, he has given us these things that we might know them, that we might, and who gave them to us? He clearly says, 
that the spirit, which is that we might know the things of God, are freely given to us of God. It is God who has given us the ability to know those things. Again, ministry of the spirit. The spirit has been received. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 19 through 21, Paul says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Three consecutive questions he asks in that verse. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, Paul didn't believe preaching was foolish, but the world does. You have family members and co-workers who think you're an absolute fool to listen to a sermon. They say that's the, that is the, that's the biggest waste of time you could possibly ever do. Yet what did Paul say about the foolishness of preaching? It is the very means in which Christ is going to save his elect. It's the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word attended by the ministry of the spirit, which makes the preaching of the word effectual and it accomplishes so that it does not return void. The day the gospel went out and was preached to you and your eyes were opened and your ears were unstopped and suddenly you went from a hater of God to now a believer in God is the very evidence that the ministry of the Holy Spirit did its work and converted you. The free will person says, no, I heard it and I decided one day, I think I'll trust God. Nowhere in scripture is that basis found. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that God did everything He did, did because He foresaw who would by their own free will accept Him. No, ordained before the foundation of the world, He set apart a people for Himself. And the means in which to bring His elect to Himself were carried out. God has given us the Spirit of truth that we can know Him understand and praise him for the gifts of his favor and his blessings in our life. I love what Paul, the word he uses, freely given. Free grace. Cost you nothing. Cost you not a single penny. But don't ever buy the lie that it didn't cost Christ something. It's free to you. It's free to, it's free to us. But it's not free. There was a payment that had to be made. There was a death that had to occur. The cross could not be avoided. It was the only acceptable payment for the sins of God's people. The elect, that's the only payment, was through Christ so Paul says, we're setting forth these truths in verse 13, which things we also speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. He says, we're not setting forth these things in our preaching, not the things you've learned in the school of philosophy, not with the logic exercises you've learned, and not to be understood by those who are in an unregenerate state. But he says, we preach and teach the gospel 
in the language of the scripture. You don't have to make God's word better. It always bothers me when a preacher says, what God should have said is this. Now, what he might be saying, and some translations are so bad that you have to do that. I mean, let's be honest, and this isn't a place for this. There are some very, very bad translations of the Bible that really need to be burned. They're that bad. To where you read them and you're saying, wait a minute, that's complete. He's saying something totally contrary to what this text is saying. But God doesn't need you to improve the gospel. He doesn't need you to present in a better logical way that makes man understand. That's our problem. We see a blank stare when we talk to somebody about Christ, and we think, okay, maybe I'm not saying this right. <laughs> if you're giving them Scripture, you're saying everything right. But see, our own pride gets in the way, and we think, well, I, I need to make you understand. You will never make them understand without the ministry of the Spirit. Preach the Word. Speak the Word. Give the Word of God. Now again, you may get a scripture. We, we, we believe in exposition, right? So what we're doing, we're looking at what the Bible says and then we're saying, okay, here's what it means. And it doesn't mean that you can't take a portion of scripture and help explain it. But don't think that the reason their eyes aren't being opened or their ears are not being unstopped is because you're not eloquent enough. It's the purposes and plan of God. And if it's God's purpose and plan to save that soul, that's the comfort you can walk away from saying, listen, I don't have to wonder because if this is God's purpose and plan, this person's eyes will be opened at the appointed hour. The free will person says, no, I'd rather have that choice. I can tell you what you would do if you were given the choice. You'd never choose Christ and you'd die in your sins and you'd spend an eternity in hell. That's what you would choose. And to think anything higher than that, you're in your own wisdom. Because scripture is so clear about this. So many years... I ignored that truth. Some of you have the same testimony. When God truly opened your eyes to the reality of sovereign grace and election, you said, how did I miss this for so many years? And isn't it interesting that when you talk to people, everybody has almost the exact same testimony. How did I miss this? Because your wisdom and your human intellect want so badly to have a part in your salvation, it almost can't stand it. That's truth. <coughs> We can't stand not being in control. And again, that doesn't mean we don't believe in free will. We make free will choices every single day. And we do believe that we did choose Christ by our own free will, will that was given to us by the Father. Because left to ourselves, we would never have chosen him. So the natural unregenerate man, whether he's in the world or even sitting in a church, is not going to receive, understand, or believe these truths of God and the revelation of the Spirit of God without the ministry of the Spirit. The gospel of God's grace, the gospel of a crucified Messiah, a crucified Redeemer, is complete nonsense to the unbeliever. Incapable of understanding these things. Paul is saying because these things are not understood by the wisdom of man, they're understood in a spiritual manner. Spiritual light, revelation that comes from the Spirit. 
Paul says the natural man doesn't receive them, verse 15, but he that is spiritual or a person who has been born of the spirit, that's what that means, judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So the person who has been born of the spirit of God, who is part of the family of God, speaks and understands spiritual things, okay? He discerns, okay? But there are things that even as a believer, we don't fully understand every bit of it yet. Again, spiritual pride, even in, un- in believers, can become a problem. I'm not against education. I'm not against getting Bible education. But I would tell you, be very careful that you don't allow that education to determine your fitness or your betterment than someone else because you have a PhD in Bible, which I'm not really sure we should even offer those. But that's, that's my little soapbox I'll leave over here for right now. Because I don't know if we ever can claim to be an expert. I don't know if we can ever say, I understand everything there is to know about the scriptures. No, there's mysteries that are still there. But Paul says the reason we understand what we understand is because of the Spirit of God. He talks about the spiritual things here are more of a reference to all things necessary to faith and salvation. The truth of man's sin, the truth of God's sovereignty, the truth of the substitutionary atonement, satisfaction in Christ are plain to he who is in Christ. Spiritual man is not understood by natural men are unregenerate. That's why when you take a stand at your workplace or you take a stand in your school or your friends, they look at you like you've got three eyes. They don't understand you. Don't let that defeat you. You're, you're not supposed to be understood. The Spirit must give understanding. They don't know who Christ is. They don't know what He is. They look at you, they don't know why you believe what you believe or why you even think the way you think. In verse 16, Paul says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? There's kind of a two-part play in this question. The first part of it is, obviously, there is none who can instruct God. Right? There's nobody that tells him or counsels him. Who knows all the hidden mysteries of all the types of shadows in the Old Testament that he could instruct a spiritual man? Well, what Paul's driving at, and we'll look at this next week, is Paul says that there are individuals and there are people who are also in Christ who are able to help instruct us. That's why God, and even Paul writes about it in the Ephesians, he gave to the churches, teachers and pastors and apostles and things that could instruct about the things of the mind of God. So that when we come together, we're doing it in an orderly manner to where we're being instructed by the things of God. Not because the person standing before you has a perfect knowledge, but they do understand the mind of the Lord and those that are in Christ can understand the mind of the Lord as well. So next week, we'll kind of dig in a little bit deeper to the actual quickening process. What, is it, what does it truly mean when the Spirit quickens us or makes us alive? So we'll deal with that next week. Let's finish this time we have this morning. We'll stand together and we'll sing a familiar hymn. We've been singing a number of times over the last few weeks. Um, It's page 376, What Grace is Mine. We'll sing that hymn and then we'll close in prayer and go into our time of fellowship. 376.